Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, I'm Oscar Trimboli and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. I'm Mike Vardy and I am absolutely elated to bring this deep conversation, this productive conversation to you today. I chat with Oscar Trimboli, but it's a deep chat. We have a a great time. I didn't even open the book while we were having the conversation because it was so organic. And, you know, truth be told, the pressure's on when you're talking to someone who is the host of the Apple Award-winning podcast, Deep Listening. Not only is Oscar the author of How to Listen, which is the most comprehensive book about listening in the workplace, uh, he's also the author of Deep Listening, Impact Beyond Words, and Breakthroughs, How to Confront Assumptions. There are so many things we get into during this conversation, the importance of eye contact, nuance. We even talk a little bit about my hometown and some of the messaging that they've shared that, you know, I didn't think was that great, but Oscar kind of set me straight to a degree. There's so much to pull from this conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Oscar Trimboli. Enjoy. Oscar, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and have a productive conversation with me today. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure though, I have to admit, because when the book is called How to Listen, um, the key part to a conversation isn't just the talking, it's the listening, right? And the hardest part of listening is being the speaker. Now, listening is a simultaneous equation because we move from listening to speaking in in microseconds. And one of the things that you probably need to think about as a host is you've got a lot of curious, nerdy questions that are going to be helpful for Mike. Yet one of the elevations and orientations you need to adopt if you're going to be productive for the audience is to think about the questions the audience is going to ask as well. So please feel absolutely no pressure. I say I'm no expert in listening. I've just committed to learning more and in the process of writing book number three and all our research with 24,000 workplace listeners, I know one thing. I know less about listening when I finished the book than when I started. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, it's the old adage. We teach what we need to learn the most, right? Like it's that old adage. Um, one of the things right out of the gate with the book, which I absolutely loved and it circled it, uh, is active listeners notice what's said deep listeners explore what isn't said. So my question isn't what that means. You can dive into that. Was that written when you were done writing the book Like, was it the last thing you wrote or was it like, when did that come to you during the process of putting this together? Listening's an art and a science and I'll spend a little bit of time on the science, which explains the answer to your question, Mike. If people know these three numbers, 125, 400 and 900, and I'll explain each of them, you know that the most important thing to listen to isn't what's said the first time. It's what's not said. Now, let's unpack the math. 125 words per minute, average speaking speed. 
in a workplace, if you're a horse race caller or an auctioneer, you can get up to 200 words per minute. You can completely understand what they're saying at 200 words per minute. And you can listen to this podcast at two times speed and probably have complete comprehension. The speaker, though, is thinking on average 900 words per minute. So if they're thinking at 900 and they can only say 125, the first thing they say is 14% of what they think and what they mean. If you want to have a productive conversation, it's not enough to just listen to what they say because it's top of mind. It's not what matters most to them. So would you like to have a conversation about 14% create distraction and disorganization and confusion and chaos, conflict and anxiety by just listening to 14%. And it was when I was reading the academic research papers about the neuroscience of listening that it came to me and I realized that the most important thing to notice is the 86% of what people haven't even said yet. So I'm curious as you hear that, Mike, what's, what's going through your mind? Um, I, I came across that equation in the book and at first I had doubts, you know what I mean? Like I'm like, cause I dictate a lot of what I, I think now, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I use drafts to do that. Drives my wife's nut, nuts, drives her nuts. She's like, why do you dictate your, your email? Like, why do you dictate? I'm like, because I want to get closer to that, that other number. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what's. What I also think about is, and, and I, this came to me as I was going through the book too, Oscar, was um, am I as good at listening as I'd like to think I am? <laughs> and then it led me to, um, and I actually wrote this down, it led me to the, the, the show Ted Lasso. Again, speaking of thinking, my mind went towards that. And there's that scene where they're playing darts. I don't know if you've seen that one where Ted, Ted is playing darts against the ex-owner. And he brings up the Walt Whitman quote, be curious, not judgmental. And I was like, that made me want to dig deeper into not just what's that 86% look like, but also why do I think that I've been better at listening than I thought? Does that make sense? There was a review on the book recently that had me in stitches. I don't know this person. And the title on Amazon was Listening's Like Sex and Comedy. And it, <laughs> I was like, oh, no, what's coming, what's coming in, the, in, in the rest of the review? And the point the reviewer made was like sex and comedy, we all think we're better at it than probably what we are. And what I realized, something completely different in his quote. And the value of comedy sits with the audience. You can't be a comic without having another person or people there. And listening's the same. Listening can't exist in isolation. You can't be a better listener by thinking about it. Listening is a contact sport. Listening is a skill. 
It's a practice and it's a strategy. It's a state of mind that you adopt if you want to have shorter meetings. And we'll talk about what our deep listening ambassador community, the research group say about how they shorten meetings as well. In the book, we talked about the research that we use. So, so we interviewed a range of people who, who knew my work, and then we interviewed a range of people who didn't know my work. And we asked three really simple questions, which is in round one, what do you struggle with when it comes to listening? What would you like to improve when it comes to listening? And when you're the speaker, what's really frustrating to you about the listener? Round two, we did a whole bunch of very specific qualitative research, which basically asked people a range of questions. So we asked people, compared to your workplace, on average, are you well below average, below average, average, above average, or well above average as a listener? And you've read the book, so you know the stats that when people rated themselves as listeners, and then we asked the speaker to rate people as listeners, the speaker always rated the listener six times worse than the listener rated themselves. So the numbers are something like 14% and 86% of people either rate themselves above average or well above average. And it's got nothing to do with age. <laughs> so it's got nothing to do with gender. And it's also got nothing to do with culture, profession, educational background, which are all dimensions of the research we, we use to explore that. And the reason is we don't have a universal framework. Math has a framework. Uh, add, divide, subtract, multiply. Chemistry is identical in every language. The universal table of elements is the same in every language. Music, a universal language. Yeah, um, maybe it was different in Canada. Let me check my assumption and not, <laughs> not have a Ted, Ted Lasso moment. Did you have listening classes or subjects at school? No, not, not one. Um, and interestingly, I think if there were the, they, they existed, it might've been, it might've led to more attentiveness and uh, it might've actually improved the teacher as well, not just the student, because they would get feedback to a degree. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. And this is one of the things I struggle with, especially because I have performed comedy in the past, right? Like I like new, like one example is, um, you know, and I, I, I mentioned this a few times, like Bill Burr's, uh, takedown of the abortion argument is one. And I know it could be quite polarizing, which I think also, again, can shut down people listening, right? As soon as they hear something polarizing. But he mentioned, he uses the metaphor or the analogy rather of, of like it baking a cake, right? You put the cake in the oven and if you take the cake out before the cake's done, then, you know, was it really a cake? And he kind of brings real world examples and, and it makes you think. So he doesn't actually say, he's not overt about it. And that's what comedians do. They try to make people think about it, right? And when I listened to him deliver that bit, and I was actually at the concert in Portland when I saw him do that, the, the show, it was the stuff he didn't say that made me think about what I was, my own thoughts on the subject, right? Yeah. And I wonder if the idea of a speaker, 
I, I wonder if the speaker that when you say that the, the data is that, that, you know, six times and you're, you're right in the book, we, we it discusses that there's lots of stuff in here that I think is worth exploring if you're, especially like if you get into the data, right. But it comes back to the Rick Rubin idea where he says the audience comes last. Like, I wonder if, if when you get to a certain level as a comedian, you're like, I'm going to share this with you. Um, how you listen is going to definitely impact the, the feedback that you're going to get from it. Right. And if you don't, whose fault is that? <laughs> is that anyone like, that's the interesting, that's the quandary I find. It's, it's the same thing as when, you know, one thing I've been really trying to do and I'm doing it right now as we're on camera is I'm looking in your eyes as we talk, but with zoom, if I was looking in your eyes on the screen, I'm not looking at you in the eyes. Like there's this weird disconnect. And, but I found that growing up, this is the listening class getting back to what you're talking about. What did I look at when people were speaking their mouths, not their eyes, mm. but their mouths. And it, mm. it led me to think about that as I was going through the book, like the idea of the connection, right? Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash ConVo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. I'd encourage everybody to go back and have a listen to your conversation with, with Matthew Dick about his role as a teacher in a class, the role of stories, but also the role of comedy to speak truth to power. And he talks about it through satire, uh, a very generous episode. Matthew did an amazing job there. Because listening is situational, relational and contextual, you'll listen differently to your mother than you will to a mechanic. You'll listen differently to an actor than you will to an accountant. The way we listen is very different. We do an exercise in our workshop where we play a 100 second track of an air traffic controller talking to a pilot. First, we ask them to do that with their eyes closed. 
And then we ask them to do that with their eyes open with captioning on the screen. And there'll be a group in the audience that loves listening with their eyes closed because they process their listening auditory. It's a first preference is to hear the words, the inclination, the emotion in the voice. The second group of people, primary and visually first in their listening, they need to create a visual connection, as you mentioned, whether it's the mouth, the eyes, the tilt of the head on the top of the spine and the way the skull is working. Are the eyes moving around? Are the hands and the breathing synchronized to what they're saying? These are all layers of the listening. So Mike, for you, I speculate that maybe your primary listening orientation is visual first, auditory second. And the easiest way to do that is to do an interview. And, and I know you have some regulars come on the show. Do an interview with someone you trust and just do part of it with your eyes closed and just do, hey, this crazy guy, Oscar, I just want to do this experiment for five minutes. You will hear things very differently. It's whether you're comfortable in that place to listen with your eyes closed or not. So for me, people say, oh, you know, Oscar, how do I listen for body language? And I, I often say most of us aren't even ready to listen to body language because we have a whole bunch of browser tabs open in our own mind, overwhelming our memory, and we're not even available in that moment to listen. That, that's, that leads me to uh, something that I was thinking about as we were going through the book as well, note-taking, <clears throat> which you bring up. And we're in a world right now where the personal knowledge management movement is moving at a break. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I've been around in this space long enough to have seen the advent of productivity apps to the level of where they're at now. And now there's like this second wave of apps that are related, dedicated to getting things out of your head and putting them in a place so that you can easily sort through them. And when I interviewed Tiago Forte, we talked about the idea of his code, which talks about capture what resonates. And I found that interesting. And I, I want to know uh, as we talk about this, because I think, you know, listening, sometimes it, you can't know what resonates. You know what resonates in the moment, but it might resonate later if it didn't resonate at that point in time, right? So my mantra is capture everything because if, it, if it's out of your head to speaking of the bandwidth problem, then your mind is open to be able to do things like, you know, meditate, actively listen because you've not got this idea. Like, I mean, there are moments where I've got this book in my hand. I'm like, I want to go through this book and just make, but when we're having a conversation, there's, to me, there's an organic element that I want to kind of preserve. And so when it comes to note-taking, I'm wondering your thoughts on this, the, the, the form or the format where if someone has an idea that comes to their mind and it could rattle around in their brain, maybe preventing them from being, getting into any kind of depth with attention, listening, concentration, mm -hmm. what you think, are we going to overdo it? 
I, I guess is the question, because I think we've overdone it with productivity to a degree where we get hyper, like we, 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 let's check off as many boxes as possible. Let's do productive, not be productive. I wonder if the same thing is going to happen because it's much easier to get those things out and organize them and structure them than to actually pay attention and listen to either them in that moment or the other things that are happening, the presence, the stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. I mentioned earlier listening, situational, relational, contextual. When you think about note-taking in that context, Mike, is it more a one-on-one personal conversation or, or a group conversation? Or uh, it, it, I want to tune accordingly I'll give you here. Ex- I'll give you an example because I think this applies mm-hmm. not just to me but to others. So sometimes it's an idea that comes to mind and I want to get it out of my head so I don't forget it and then I can get back to what I was working on. That's one. So that's an internal conversation. Yep. Other times... I do it deliberately when I'm having a conversation with someone and they say something and I won't whip out my phone. I'll whip out a notebook. Like I've got a little mini. And the reason I do that is because look, I don't want to forget what you're saying, but I also want you to know that I'm not going to open my phone and see all the 14 notifications that could be (laughs) waiting for me. Instead, you know, so if you and I are chatting right now and you say something, I can write it down in a notebook and you're like, Mike didn't tweet that. Mike didn't check his email. <laughs> Mike legitimately wrote down so he was paying attention. To me, that's a reciprocal form of um that shows that you there's a care factor. There's 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 you know this idea of of committing to the conversation, for lack of a better term. So that those I think those are the two contexts that I'm talking about because I think some people are afraid to leave a conversation like this and then go, okay, Oscar said this and Oscar said that. And what is he doing here? And And then all of a sudden you're like, so Mike, when I talked about the air traffic controls, I'm like, wait, hold on. What was that? Like, you know what I mean? Like that, cause I, that, that can happen. Think about first off who you're taking the note for. Sometimes you're actually taking the note for the shared purpose. What is the purpose of the conversation? Not enough people discuss how they're going to communicate. They just focus on the task, the what, the dialogue, the interaction. So one thing I recommend to people, and we've interviewed a number of world memory champions uh, on this topic of note-taking, but I've also interviewed chief justices in, in superior courts I've asked journalists these same questions about, is note-taking a barrier? How how do you use note-taking in an elegant, sophisticated way that furthers the conversation and the relationship and doesn't create friction? Uh, So world memory champion Boris Conrad would say, don't be a stenographer. Don't take notes verbatim. When when I interviewed a journalist from the Huffington Post, she, she was very clear. She said... When the person made a point, even though it was being recorded, she would say, Hillary Fry was the journalist, would say, the point you made is really important. Could we just pause? I just need to process that and capture that. Now, what that signals is two things. A, you're listening. B, you're signaling to the speaker the value and the impact of what they've said in the moment. It allows them to pause because they may, they're thinking about the next 125 words and they're getting closer towards thinking and meaning. And you are capturing something. 
Now, how you choose to capture that is completely up to you. Mm-hmm. That, that's, I'm not here to do that. You've got other experts that are much more gifted in that. In that moment where you pause and you say, look, wow, what you said is really important. Boris Conrad, he's got a couple of advantages. He's a neuroscientist. He's, he's German. So being a world memory champion is pretty easy. He would also say, take graphic notes first that mean something for you because you can draw relationships much faster than if you capture something verbatim like a stenographer. Now, just your signaling of the act that you thought that was really important will change and alter what the speaker will say next. Mm-hmm. Whether that's good or bad, it doesn't matter. In group settings, by the way, the protocol for note-taking should be defined at the beginning of every meeting. The note-taking format should be shared and action should be agreed in the moment. That's what's consistent in what all these experts have told us about group meetings as well. Where people get tripped up is they don't process what's in their mind, Mike, and they lose it. And because they're processing it in their mind, they're not in the moment listening to what that person says. Therefore, when it comes to note-taking, communicate as early as possible that you plan to take notes rather than someone being surprised by it. And the generosity that you share with the other person will change the way they express their next idea because great listeners help speakers express their ideas in ways they never thought of as well. So I want to go back to meetings because we did touch on that. And Can we you, avoid them? No, well, we can't. <laughs> but you mentioned earlier that we're going to cover that, and I want to make sure that we cover that, because I think it's one... We hear, you know, a lot of people talk about how to make meetings faster, how to make meetings better. Um, but rarely does listening come up in those conversations. It's more about have an agenda, do this, do like, you know, or, you know, in terms of holacracy... Like, well, smaller meetings, more satellite, or we hear the two pizza yeah. rule from Bezos. Pizza rules, uh, All yeah, that blah, blah. stuff. So let's cut to the chase and talk about the role of listening and how that can make meetings not just, you know, more efficient, but just better. Yeah. I'm going to come to your question. Just a little asterisk. Sure. If you're in sales and that note-taking question, mm-hmm. um, some, sometimes be careful. If you're not in a relationship and it's the first meeting with somebody, it may be perceived as false flattery if you say, oh, wow, that's a really important idea. Do you mind pausing while I capture it? So just a little caveat there. Be careful in, uh, in sales ego. interactions. The ego <laughs> wreaks havoc once again. <laughs> Okay, to group meetings is um, one of the things we need to be conscious of when it comes to listening is listening is not the meeting. Listening happens before, during and after the meeting. And if you want to know how to listen after the meeting, don't follow up on your actions because the difference between hearing and listening is the action you take that is after the meeting. Now, to set up before the meeting, our, our, our tracking group, 1,410 listeners that we're tracking say on average when they use the couple of techniques in these group meetings that we talk about they will reduce the meeting size by between five and ten percent the actual time required because 
There's no rework after the meeting. Oh, you meant that? Oh, I thought you meant the, oh, gee, okay, well, I'll bring that back next week. Right. That, that's the cost of not doing it. So the first thing, if you're the host of the meeting, it's not enough to have a clear agenda. That's great. That's table stakes. That's what we expect. Ask participants in the meeting, if it's a meeting that matters, not a regular meeting, but it's a, it's a consequential meeting. Ask every participant what will make this a great meeting. Not what will make this a great meeting for you. That's a very important distinction because what will make that an important meeting for them? Yeah, it's interesting, but it's not the purpose of the meeting. At the beginning of the meeting, the host should then signal to the group to say, Mike, you said this will make it a great meeting. Is that still the case? Mary, you said this will make it a great meeting. Is this still the case? Now, it may sound very procedural, but what you're doing is making sure that the group is not listening to you as the host, but they're listening to each other. And they're listening to the purpose of what everybody else thinks is a good meeting. And you have your communication compass set for the meeting. Now, skillful hosts will check in regularly and notice based on the agenda and based on the dialogue, ask a simple question. Given the time available, how should we adjust the agenda? What our deep listening ambassadors say, when you use the adjust question, the group will often say, hey, boss, we've got enough. We can cut the meeting short. Oh, hey, boss, that's great. We've closed that off. But what that's brought up, we haven't even thought about the other department in finance and we need to have a conversation about how we're going to talk to finance about this. And this is where we move from listening to what people say to listening to what matters, moving from listening to symptoms to listening to the system. So in group meetings, the setup and the foundation is well before the dialogue actually takes place. And when you ask that question in the meeting, you're creating a listening compass for the group. You know what they all want, but that's not enough. They need to know what each of them do. So one thing that, <clears throat> that I really wanted to do when we evolved the podcast from the Productivityist podcast to a productive conversation, and I think it happened naturally, but I really wanted to push it to the next level, was this idea of organic conversation. So, and I've always found as you take a sip, no one can see this video, but they could see you taking a sip of, of tea. Was it tea, coffee? What was it? Tea? Tea. Yeah. Um, to me, it's always the best conversations that I've had on this program or, you know, ever have been where the things move in or in an organic fashion. Mm. And it's one of the things that happened when I was Finished reading the book, I went for a walk. <clears throat> and I, I left, though I'm actually going to grab my phone real quick because I took a photo of it. So I went for this walk and it, you know, I was going through my head all the things that, that I'd thought about with relations to listening. And let me just go to all photos here. Sorry. For, oh, here it is. So I, I walked through this park that I walk through pretty much every day. And the city of Victoria posted a sign because they're doing community upgrades, like the community plan. And this is what it said. We heard your ideas and what matters most. 
We now invite you to join the conversation about your draft neighborhood plan. And I circled, we heard your ideas and what matters most. And the first thought that came to mind, and I'd love to get your feedback on this, your thoughts, was they heard, but did they listen? They heard, but did they listen? So not, again, this is out of context a bit, but you're talking this massive governance, which, you know, when you see the story of the city, sometimes people wonder if they actually did, quote, hear the citizens. But when you see a, something communicated like that, we heard and now join the conversation. Does that set off warning bells or is it just like, what does that, what does that sound and or look like to you? Uh, this is actually a very sophisticated and high level of community engagement. If you say the words you, that you read out exactly, they're asking for comment on the draft plan. So what they've done is they've collected, they've categorized, and then they've published. So they said, we've heard this, but the act of publishing is saying, we think we heard this, but we need your comment to confirm because they will want to get some kind of prioritization in that plan is my suspicion. Sure. Is, is, is my uh, speculation. It's my hypothesis. The opposite typically happens where uh, some kind of authority will do research and you don't ever hear about it. It's like it just got, you know, please leave a score from one to 10 on how you would rate this. Well, what are you going to do with that? Right. How's it going to make a difference for me and for an organization I worked with that was had some struggles with time to resolve issues? And I said, look, they're on hold why don't you tell them what you did with the last survey so they're going to be more engaged because they realize you're not collecting all this stuff. So kudos to the council for doing the first part hearing. They're doing now the second part, the publishing to invite the listening. So the listening is confirming, hey, did what I hear, is that what you said? So in that act of doing that second part, Mike, they are actually probably in the top 5% of community engagement approaches. They get approached by a lot of um, political organizations and community movements, and also get approached by a lot of human resources and people and culture leaders like, you know, what should we be listening for in our employee engagement survey? Uh, nothing, stop it, stop doing those surveys action what they asked you to do in the last one and the one before that and the one before that because i guarantee you haven't and the difference between hearing and listening is action so i love the approach they've taken oscar this has been a great conversation we don't have we we could keep going for sure i'm so glad that we did this. We didn't even, what's interesting is I did not go to the book once during this entire thing, despite all the doggers. And there are plenty, there are plenty. Um, I will, uh, I would love people to pick up this book. One thing I will say that I absolutely loved as a word nerd was when you, and I put, whoa, in the marginalia was silent and listen, share identical letters. <laughs> like, damn, nicely done, Oscar. Nicely done. <laughs> Um, where,
where could people keep up with your work and pick up the book, How to Listen, Discover the Hidden Key to Better Communication? You can put, pick up the book from any good retailer. If you want to discover your listening barriers, visit listeningquiz.com, take the seven-minute quiz, learn more about your listening rather than learning more about Oscar. I'd rather you reflect it on your own listening and we give you three tips tailored to your barrier about what you can do immediately in the next conversation in your workplace. And apparently if you're traveling through PDX, you might be able to pick up the book in the airport as well. (laughs) Oscar, thank you so much for having a productive conversation with me today. Thanks for listening to me, Mike. Thanks to Oscar for taking the time to join me. I just finished the conversation with him and I am going to go back through the book again. I've dog-eared it so many ways. Quotes, insights. You want to pick up this book, which you can do so by checking out the show notes. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast 473 to make that happen. And by the way, when you're doing that, or maybe right now while you are listening to me talk about how you can support the show, one of the best ways is to subscribe to the show. So just hit the subscribe button, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and that way you won't miss a single episode. You should also subscribe to Deep Listening as well. But if you want to support this show, that's one of the ways you can do it. Another way you can do it is by checking out the sponsors that you heard during our conversation today. Just go to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. And that way they know that we sent you. Whew, what a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. That's it for this productive conversation, which was a doozy. Uh, Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and stop being productive. See you later.